With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Shades of Blue Soccer Show. Steve, you on? I am on. For those who do not know, Steve Brizendine is MLSsoccer.com beat writer for Sporting Kansas City, editor, poet, artist, uh, resident foodie, and guy who likes to try different things. Pretty much sum you up there, Steve? Yeah, pretty much. Like to say, girl, obnoxious Twitter pain in the butt, and there we go. Well, yeah, I was just trying to be nice, though. Um, it has been a while since we got together, and uh, life has gotten in the way for us to have any consistency over the summer, so it looks like we're going to try to pick it back up as we go into uh, winter. But uh, lots and lots of things we've missed out on talking about, but focusing on what's like kind of here and now, um, I think we should start with what's uh, a good positive, Swope Park Rangers. Uh, they have been kind of the story lately, don't you think, Steve? Oh, holy cow! Yeah, that, that game on on Sunday was just absolutely crazy. I've said this before; other people said it too. If you were at that game, you're not going to forget that game. Um, first time in USL history that a team has come has won in the sorry in the postseason down two men. I just and the way that they did it. Um, 
to come back and, and score during game action, two down in, uh, in extra time to, to win that thing. Huge shot of momentum going into the conference final. Of course, now they'll deal with some absences in that match. But in terms of heart, in terms of just absolutely crazy entertainment value, and in terms of a display of what can happen when you think outside the box, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah, this is one of those matches where I think the the, the actual attendance was like 2,200 or something like that. But I, I know 10 years from now there will be 50,000 people claim they were there because they will have will still be remembering that game 10 years from now. Oh sure, yeah, you know, it's like when the police played at one block west, there were like 39 people there at the actual show uh, back in the late 70s, and now of course you can't swing a, a rake in Kansas City without hitting five people at that police show. So yeah, the, the legend <laughs> of the game will just grow. And and deservedly so. I mean, um, just kind of running down real quick, you know, they they jump out to a lead early. Um, Sporting Kansas City lone Ever Alvarado, their left back, does a tackle from behind, gets a straight red, gets sent off. Um, the uh, they tie uh, the they um, yeah uh, Orange County comes back and ties it. Um, Tommy Meyer gets sent off for uh, stepping on a uh, player. Uh, we'll not exactly describe exactly where he stepped, but he um, gets sent off. He gets a straight red, and they're down two guys. Uh, Dane Kelly comes on, makes a break. Uh, well, Nossel Subble gets that ball, slides it up to Kelly. He goes up, gets a one defender turned, launches it from 25 yards out, and beats the keeper near post. Yeah, it's uh, that improbable yeah, all the way yeah. around. Oh, the, the whole way. I mean, normally, and I, I was talking to Nicola, you uh, that sporting training. He says, you know, the the conventional wisdom in that situation is you basically set up in a four-four and hunker down and hope that you come up big in the shootout. And instead, they go with a four-three-one, uh, put Kelly up top, and Orange County didn't know what to do. I mean, you know, who are these madmen who are who are throwing a forward into the mix and attacking forward into the mix when they're down to and it's extra time and people are going to be gassed for trying to cover, uh, you know, with with eight field players trying to cover ten field players and actually got seven field players covering ten field field players and Dane Kelly in the mix going to try and get a couple shots on goal. Just. Uh, completely flies in the face of what you expect a team to do in that situation. And this is one of those games that, um, you know, it, it's it's kind of a, a generic thing for people to say, you know, it's a complete team game or something like that. But this is one of the games, I don't think you could point to anybody that was left on that field or really anybody who wasn't red carded who didn't contribute heavily to that win in some way, shape, or form from the back line with uh, Ballo and Didich. They were just clearing balls out left and right when they were, the, you know, Orange County just launching balls in. Ballo was just like coming out of nowhere and heading them away. Um, the midfield was just, you know, confounding the attack. And then, you know, Subble and Dane Kelly and Gonzalez and all these guys who were, you know, the dangerous attackers. It was just a complete team game. It really was. It shows what happens when you can get a style of play and get guys to buy into that style of play and get them on the same page at the right time of the season. I mean, you saw mid-season, 
uh, Rangers were not always, you know, they were not always cohesive. They weren't always grasping what the plan was, and you saw some kind of, some kind of struggling results in the middle of the season. They get down to the end, though, and all of a sudden everything clicks. And you get a team that, that starts clicking at the right time, starts playing that cohesive ball. Um, and then you get four, you know, to be honest, we got, they got fortunate results uh, elsewhere around the, the, the conference on that, that first night, of the, the first weekend of the playoffs. Um, but then, you know, you don't want to face a dog with momentum, and Orange County came in as a dog with momentum. So it wasn't that the, the way was paved with gold. They got some of the, of the really tough teams cleared out, but they still had to win that game. And they and then of course when when they, they go down two on the uh on the Reds, it's a real challenge. But they, they had built I think enough momentum, enough cohesiveness by then that they found a way to get past that and, and pull out the win. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cliche to sit there and talk about how a team believes in themselves, but this is a team that really does. They believe in each other, they believe in themselves. And they, they believe they can pretty much do anything. Um, I talked to one of their players today. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot because it was not an official interview. But I'm like, hey, you know, uh, you know, great result. And he's like, we got two more games to win, man. we got two more games to win. And he's just completely confident, no doubt, in his mind that that's what they're going to go do. Yeah, and that's the attitude you want. You know, they, they got it done with two guys short. Now they, they go in uh, without those two guys into the uh, – in the next match to go in, you know, without Willeppe, uh also. But you know, I was talking today, and they've got some some things that they're some adjustments they'll make. They'll make some personnel tweaks, and they'll go after it um, with the same, I think, kind of style of play, and and the same belief that whatever gets thrown at them, they'll be able to surmount it. Now, uh, now speaking of those two red cards, uh, Ever Alvarado, he got the the standard one game suspension for getting a red card which I don't even know why they have to really announce that. That's just a, should be automatic, I guess, but maybe in the USL it's not. Um, but Tommy Meyer got two three-game suspensions, and which is a little bit unusual to be framed that way, but I guess he got three games for stepping on a player and then three games for bumping into the AR on the way out of the stadium. Um, do you think those were both justified, both fair reds from your view? Um of the two reds, I mean, I, 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 of course, I was in the at the end uh, when the, the, that red to Tommy happened, so I didn't see the the play. Um, check that. No, I was on the sideline. I was talking to somebody uh, when that happened. I didn't see the play. Uh, I talked to people who said that it was a legit red that there was contact with, let's say, the Nether regions, and that contact was not uh, accidental. And so when you when you've got that, then yeah, you're gonna you're going to get a three. You're looking at a three match if you kick somebody, especially you kick somebody in an area where you can really hurt that person. Um, bumping the AR, it's heat of the moment, but you have to. Um, you know, and again, this is a league that <laughs> you're not always sure that contact with the officials is going to merit anything because if you recall the San Antonio game. San Antonio yep. coach grabs the center by the wrist on the way out the pitch. There's video evidence of this. There's photographic evidence of the San Antonio manager grabbing the center by the wrist on the way out the pitch. And there's nothing done because it's not put in the match report uh, by the by the officials. So, you know, 
when you look at that, there's there's this kind of a spotty, if you want to say, history of enforcement with that. But it needs to be uh, got to be punished, and it, needs, it does have to have a multi-match suspension. And I I, I have no real beef with that red. Now the Alvarado red, uh, as I said on Twitter at the time, I'll take inexplicable red cards for 500 because I didn't see that as a red. Yellow, sure, but as a straight red, especially in a, in a, in a postseason match, I didn't see that one. Uh, the, the 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 contact with the, with a player from Tommy, I, you know, you hate to see that happen, but you can't really say that the suspension should have been handed out. Yeah, as one uh, commenter on uh, on one of the articles said, uh, they saw it as an orange the the card on Alvarado because they could kind of they thought it should be a yellow, but they could see it being a red. Um, from my perspective, he did come in from behind. When he did it live, I'm like, oh man, that could be a red, and it was. Uh, but and that's another one of those instances where, if you go back and look at it, the the ref seemed to go to the front pocket, but then Alvarado. Um, there was contact between the uh, a player and Alvarado. Alvarado goes down, lays on the ground, and like he was, you know, punched out by Mike Tyson or something. But at that point, it gave the ref some time to think, and he ended up going to the back pocket. Um, and what I have a problem with is he didn't give a card to the guy who touched Alvarado, even though I don't think it was nearly as bad as Alvarado tried to sell it. But that just made the whole thing worse. I think if Alvarado would have just stumbled backwards, it would have been a yellow. He would have kept playing, um, and that would have changed the obviously the complexion complexion of the game. But as it was, it wouldn't have made for such a great story. Uh, it would have made for such a great story, but it would have been a whole lot better match management. Um, I think what and, and it's easy uh, to to talk about the outside, but the official cannot be the star of a game. And that match was not managed well um, by, by the center. The, the center's job, especially in a, in, a, in a knockout game, is to keep situations like that under control. Now, if, it's, if, if something is an orange, realistically, in a playoff game, if something is an orange, it, it rounds down to a yellow. Um, do they does he does he throw a yellow on both those guys? Give them both a talking to, settle the match down. That's what should have happened. But the match management was not good by the center official in that game, and I think that failure to manage the match on the Alvarado red uh, and the shove that wasn't wasn't carded led to the the chippiness continue to the match and led I think pretty much at least uh, by a not indirect route. I won't say it was a straight line, but it was a not indirect route to the Meyer red and to being two down. Yeah, and um, like one of the instances I noticed earlier was uh, there, there was actually two incidents where the ref was making a call and then he wanted to make a point where he wanted the player to come, you know, 20 yards to him to be chewed out. Um, and he made Christian Duke go fetch a player and bring him back to be chewed out. And in one of those cases, it was Tommy Meyer. And I know that he said something to Meyer, who it, who was pretty upset with what he said because he told the ref, you can't say that to me. And that's that was just 20 feet away from me. I heard that part plainly. I don't know what was said. I didn't hear that. But 
Meyer was definitely unhappy, and that was early in the game, well, in the first half. So there was lots of things, I think, that led up to that whole situation that was probably unfortunate in every which way. But uh, either way, they're going to be without those guys for at least the next game, For in the case of Alvarado, and Meyer through part of next year at least. So we'll yeah. see how uh, <laughs> they, uh, they end up facing Vancouver Whitecaps uh, FC2 this weekend could have been uh, OKC, which in a kind of a way I'm glad it wasn't, even though I would have been happy for Jimmy to have won a game, um, for Jimmy Nielsen's uh, Oklahoma City Energy to have won a game. I just think they they probably have a better time with the Whitecaps. What do you think? Um, I, I would say, you know, because Jimmy knows the sporting system so well and the sporting system translates to a lot to uh, the Rangers system and how they want to develop players the, yeah the, the, the coaching uh, angle I think would go to Oklahoma City now Vancouver's got a, a, a solid uh, USL squad um, I don't know how exactly how the, the midfield matchups are going to go now with uh, you know with Wolefi out uh, you know and then with uh, <clears throat> Probably what's going to have to happen with the, the, the fullback situation is Pasture's going to have to, to drop back and play that left back. So he's going to be going through the midfield down the flank, uh, through the middle of the park down the flank a lot. So how much how much is going to build out on that left side? How much is is going to, uh, instead of balls, maybe straight balls to the middle, how much is going to be sprayed to the flanks for crosses? Uh, how well that's going to, going to match up? But I think as long as you've got uh, – the, the two center backs that you've got back there, you've got a shot because those guys have it pretty well locked down. And I think, you know, whatever Vancouver brings, it's still going to have to get the ball past those guys. And that's not going to be an easy task. No. And speaking of my Luffy, I mean, that's a, uh, I think it's not confirmed that he'll be out at this point. I mean, I, I have some doubts that he'll be there, uh, but it's the, uh, they're still listening. I think is day to day at this point. Yeah, day to day, uh, I wouldn't count him though. Just, I mean, no, I'm being, I'm being a pessimist, but I would not count him at this point. But uh, Appiah stepped in and did pretty well this last game, so I was pretty impressed. I thought he did. I think Appiah and Duke in the middle uh, is not going to be a bad, bad one too for linking up with the back line and getting the ball um, out to the to the flanks and you know, you're delivering the occasional through ball. Um, but I think they're, they're going to be okay. It's just. The, the bench now becomes a concern because you've got guys who are who were bench players uh, now starting, so your bench is going to be thinner. So that that's that's one concern. Um, I would really think if you're Rangers, you don't want to play 120 in this one. I think you, you're going to want to play that that match in 90 and get that done uh, and move on. Well, I think we'll uh, see the. Uh the quality possibly of the uh, sporting academy because they uh, I'm guessing there will be two, three, four of those guys sitting on the bench come uh, this weekend for the, for the Rangers. Hey, you know, what a great opportunity and a chance to show what you can do under pressure for those guys who do get in, you know, the, the, the ones who make it into the match. So that'll be interesting to watch subplot as well. You touched on this earlier. And uh, when we were talking about before the podcast, uh, and we talked to I talked to Roger about this the other day. The and, and Peter talked about this. The 
example that Rangers provide to the senior side in terms of, of getting things rolling at the end of the season, overcoming adversity, catching fire at the right time, and, and making a run. I, what do you think? Does Sporting still do that? Um, well, that's a good segue into the next segment, really. But uh, can Sporting do that? Yes. Will they do that? That's the really huge question. Um, you know, basically that's what Portland did last year. Um, that's been the that's been a a method that a couple teams have done in the past is just get hot at the right time and then you know carry that really deep into the playoffs, even all the way to the MLS Cup. It, the, sporting all year has had the talent to play with anybody in the league. It, the question has been whether they can be consistent on all three lines. Well, I mean, or all four, if you count the keeper as a line. Um, and if they can be consistent, if they can put it together, if they can come out with the intensity that they need to come out with because they, they're they a team that needs to play at a certain tempo, a certain intensity in order to be successful, and they haven't proven that game in, game out. It seems like every time they get a couple games going that direction, they have a game, they take a step back. They get a couple games going in that direction, they take maybe one or two steps back. Can they do it with these last two games? Yes. Will they? That will be the big question. What do you think? Uh, I think they can. I think they've got, uh, you said they've got the personnel. Uh, if they get guys back healthy, they're still they're, they're still banged up. I mean, Brad Davis is now out uh, of the, the RSL match. Alm is not all the way back yet. I mean, you've got guys who are still pretty banged up. Um, at a very inopportune time in the season. But all that said, the, if they can do one thing and one thing only, I think they've got a shot. Now, one thing is not giving up soft goals. That has been their Achilles heel all season. The bad back pass, the bad square pass, the turnover in 35 yards out from, from the goal. They've had match after match where they've, they've played well overall, but made two mistakes, three mistakes, and every one of those mistakes gets punished. They cannot concede soft goals from here and, until the the end of the year, whenever that might be. That That's the number one thing. And that's that's a that's a good point that you put you made there that they've played some of those games they've played well in some of those games that they've lost, but it's just been five minutes maybe that they didn't play well, uh, or two two mistakes got punished for two goals and they could only score one, and you know they end up losing. I mean, one of their last wins was one of the ones where they they were the only possession they only had the possession for thirty percent or thirty five percent. I mean it's you know complete opposite yeah, of the normal uh, the, the 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 soft goal and the soft goals are uncharacteristic of a of a Vermese team because the the kind of a hallmark of a Vermese team is and discipline on the ball. And the the soft goals, the turnovers in bad spots, that's not like uh the, the way that they like to, to play ball, taking risks in in dangerous areas. Um so the and they know that. I mean, we're not we're not telling anybody anything that that, that this is not news uh, to the players, no. not news to fans, anything like that. But they've got to, and, and this is what Benny said the other day. Benny Fellop said, "We've got to quit conceding goals. We've got to be tougher to play against because we haven't always been that tough to play against." 
and that is also what um and this is a little segue us into one of the later segments also, but this is what led to some of the controversy at center back, the the who's going to play defense. Um, Beasler and Nuno, I think, were was the main starting pair initially at the beginning of the season, and they looked good, but every mistake they made got hammered, like we've been saying, where when later on in the year when Opara and Olam basically became the de facto starting center back, they didn't have no mistakes, they just didn't get punished for those mistakes. That's a, that's a fair assessment. I think that's kind of the same way when you had Kevin Ellison at center back as well. Look, I mean, everybody yeah. thought the Beasler-Nuno combo with Ike, you know, providing depth was going to be a, a, a three-headed monster this year because you had Matt, we know about Matt's Beasler's strength. He's positionally strong, uh, sees the field very well, uh, doesn't, you know, typically uh, when, when things are going right, doesn't typically get caught out of position. You know, you had the creative, the the guy, great height, good on the ball, the kind of guy, less physical, but the same kind of a guy who could be maybe that Aurelian Collin type who looks down at his chest and then thinks he's a he's got a midfielder's number on and goes up the pitch and makes some plays. I think that, that tandem and then with Ike Opara set to rotate in uh, to provide you know, rest and depth and things like that, they were set up well. And then Nuno turned out to be fragile. Um, and they, they knew that when they brought him in. I mean, it's, uh, there wasn't anything that they were caught by surprise by. But he, he turned out to be injury-prone uh, again. Uh, Ike had some injury issues. Uh, and when you start having some inconsistency, inconsistency in your – that, that – triangle in the in the back the two center backs and the defensive midfielder when you get the inconsistency there that's where a three four three sorry a, a four three three i don't know where i got three four three a four three three needs that triangle in the back with the two center backs and a d-mid and they have not had that and it's just shown um and it's shown in in in, in sloppy play that leads to goals opposing goals it's shown in, in guys losing their marks. It's shown in, in set piece inconsistency at the other end of the pitch uh, because it just that consistency in those three spots has not been there. True. And, and you mentioned uh, Nuno being a little being fragile and them expecting that. And we know Oparo's got some fragility issues over the years. Um, but this year we've had a little bit with Beasler too. I mean, he had the concussion and he's never seemed to be as uh, on. Uh, he doesn't seem to be a hundred percent Matt Beasler. Uh, maybe he's just now being that a hundred percent Matt Beasler. You know what I mean? Uh, but now he's got maybe confidence issues with sporting where he's still a national team level center back for Jurgen Klinsmann. Kind of a, odd situation where you're not the starting center back for a club team, but you can still be a center back at the national team level, isn't it? And he performed well in that, in that, in that uh, New Zealand game. I, I was kind of watching out of the corner of my eye because we had a quiz that night. Um, but I thought he performed well in that. We went back to look at the highlights. Um, what? We've been through this before. We've been through it before this season. He's been benched earlier this year. He got benched, and in, 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 I'm going to plug my story today, uh, where, where Pete's talking about uh, about Beasley, and made note that I remember 2013. Everybody thought, "Oh, Matt's 
know what Matt's in the doghouse. You have know, people saying Matt's done. Matt's going to be out of Kansas City because he remember he got benched down the regular season stretch, and he didn't want to talk about it, and Peter didn't want to talk about it, and everybody was going crazy. You know, why isn't Matt playing? Is is Matt leaving? Is is our uh, is our hometown hero on the outs and headed out of Kansas City? And he comes back to the playoffs, and they go on and win a MLS Cup, and people forget a lot of times about that stretch. Burmese uses yep. the bench to send messages. Now, there are messages he keeps within the club. He doesn't talk about his decisions outside the locker room, outside the, the, no. the, outside the coaching room. He's not going to let us know why Matt's not playing. He has a reason why Matt, why Matt's not playing. He had a reason, you know, for he had a reason for benching Benny. Uh, at some point, he's got reasons for, for keeping guys out of the starting lineup, and we're not privy to those reasons, and we're not ever going to be privy to those reasons. And even if, if somebody like Klinsman wonders out loud uh, why he's not, why Beasley's not playing in Kansas City, that matters exactly jack squat to Peter Vermees because he keeps his own counsel, and that's not going to change. Uh, my guess is that we'll see uh, Beasley. Again, down the stretch. Probably, I wouldn't be surprised to see him this weekend. I wouldn't be, I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see him against San Jose. And then on into the playoffs, should they get that far. I think this is just another one of those things where Vermees is doing what he's doing for tactical reasons. Um, and we've seen those reasons pay off in the past. Uh, you know, again, looking back in 2013 when Beasley got benched on the stretch and then came back and had a, had a good good postseason and went up winning MLS Cup. Yeah, and he's done that in the past with uh, some other players that I know for a fact and, um, you know, gotten some uh, kind of side conversations with people other than Peter about why they happened. And and some of those players turned out, you know, that made a huge difference in their careers. Um, some of them it didn't, but that that really comes down to the player not making the, the necessary adjustment in their attitude to, to take a, a step forward. Um one of the things with Klinsman, he made that statement, and it wasn't a hugely bad statement. I mean, nobody should probably be reading into it like it was the the biggest criticism from Klinsman at Vermees. But when it's been the flip side, and I know you've been there, you've asked the question, I've asked the question, Sam's asked the question to Vermees, to Peter before about, you know, decisions that Klinsman made about players, and he's like, I don't know, I'm not there. He, goes, he, he will not comment on – other people's coaching. He's been very careful about that. Um, I think it, uh, I think it rankles him a little bit that maybe even though the Klinsman statement wasn't hugely bad, that he even questioned that statement, you know, questioned the decision not to have Beasler playing. Um, I, uh, because he's very, he's very <clears throat> circumspect about talking about what other coaches do. And he expects that same courtesy. Now he, he and Klinsman have kind of gone, uh, they, they, they've had a prickly relationship in the past. You remember the fitness issue, um, <clears throat> January camp in the last season, I think it was, um, where the, uh, the, the situation where, you know, our players coming in fit and Peter said, you know, we, you know, we need to have them peaking for our, uh, for our season, during our season. So, and here's, you're expecting people to be at peak fitness in January. So there's been some tension uh, I think sometimes in the past, but that's just the way it is because, you know, you're looking, Klinsman gets Burmese players for 
you know, how much time of the year? Quite a bit less than Vermees does. I mean, the club is 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 what has the money invested in, in Beesler, uh and the other international players. The club has uh, a whole lot more games with the internationals than the national team does. So it's natural for a club coach to feel protective of that, and I hate to say investment, but that's what a, that's what a player, especially a star player, is is an investment. Uh, you want to see your, your if somebody else is going to handle your investment, you want that investment managed wisely. Um, and so there's always, I think, a little bit of tension between the national team and the club team. It just goes with the territory. Um, and you, you're dealing with strong personalities. Klinsman's got a strong personality. For me, has a strong personality. They both have ways that they think things ought to be done to manage the player, and uh, they don't always agree. So some of that just goes with the territory, I would say. Yeah, and, uh, and don't get me wrong. Uh, Vermees has a invest. Uh, he's very much invested in having the national team do well. I mean, it means a lot to him for U.S. to play well and and advance and do these things. At the same time, he's not paid to have them do that. Um, so it's he's he's not going to want to do some harm to the national team. That's for sure. No, uh, but at the same time, he's got to take care of sporting KC. Yeah, that's his charge. I mean, he, he loves the national team. He played for the national team, played in the World Cup for the national team. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's that there's that loyalty. But his primary primary loyalty is to the club and what he thinks needs to happen um, to uh, to make sporting the best. Uh, so again, there is there is there tension over? Well, okay, Beeler gets a call up the national team, is that a reward from Klinsman when Peter is trying to avoid rewarding Matt uh, at the same time? You know, all kinds of things play into it. Well, you know, he's, now he's, he's getting called to the national team. He's not playing here, but he's getting minutes. Um, and he's getting, he's getting minutes in a situation where he could get hurt and, get, and uh, not be any good to us the rest of the way. So there are all kinds of little things at, at play. And the dynamics, that, again, you and I, are not at all privy to, but we can only speculate on. But I guess I think sometimes maybe we hit it right when we speculate. True. Um, now I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna do a little bit of a devil's advocate to the other side for a second. Uh, Beesler wasn't called up to the Cuba game, which you know, um, and I think really one of the reasons he was called up was that uh, Burnbaum got the boot to the head. Um, so that's that may you know I know he called he I know he released some of the players back to Europe and he called up some of the the North American players in that case and maybe it was always a plan to call Beasler up at that point but that may have also been part of why he got called up was that Burnbaum got the the cleat to the head in Cuba um, but this was New Zealand also this was not the top of the line and sorry New Zealand but this was not the top of the line competition that they would wanted to have played. Uh, it wasn't even top of the line Concacaf level competition, you know, Costa Rica or Mexico or anything like that. Um, and Beesler played pretty good for most of the game, but the one goal was a guy that basically stepped faster to the ball than Beesler did. I'm not going to say was, that the whole goal was on him; it wasn't. No, but it was a guy the, that stepped. When you make the keeper, the goal is never entirely on the defensive back and on the center back. Um, and that goal should not have gone in. Uh, sure, no, no. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not laying it all on Beesler, but it was his guy that got to the ball first. New Zealand's not a, a, a glamour friendly, but they're not a bad team. You know, granted, Asia, especially since Australia 
sorry, Oceania, since Australia bolted for Asia, uh, is the weakest confederation in, in of the of the six in the world. But New Zealand are not an awful team. They're a better team than Cuba, I think. Um, but, yeah. You know, yeah. It was not a glamour matchup. It wasn't a historic. The, the Cuba game, half the attraction there was the history. Going to Cuba for the first friendly since 1947, being part of that, that you know, they've, they've had uh, World Cup qualifiers there before. Um, but in terms of that, that, the thaw between the two countries and uh, the historic friendly, I think that was a lot of the attraction, uh, more than just the quality of the game. But, it, you know, anytime you get called up to, to play for your country, I still think it's an honor. It's, it's not uh, it's something we sneeze at. Uh, and I still – could he have gone with uh, another direction with uh, with the center back? I still think he could have and, and gone uh, – called somebody else besides uh, Beasler. So I still think he's, he's checking Beasler out for the uh, – the hex to see how he wants to use him. I think you know Brooks has kind of taken that uh, that left side center back spot over, but uh, I don't think you count uh, Beasley out of the picture entirely. I think he's a guy who could who can step in. So you want to keep getting him minutes. You want to keep giving him looks. Uh, it wasn't just so you know when you're a warm body, let's let's grab Beasley. And, and he's a proven commodity. They knew he would do a credible job for him. And uh, as a chance to get him some minutes, maybe with some other guys going into the hex and see how he meshed with some other people. Yeah, and don't don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that Beasler was only called up because you know he was you know available. He, it's not like he was the trash of the uh, you know being pulled off the the dollar store shelf or something. Um, no. But also, I think that does show to you know. It, if Beasler is in the form that he was a couple of years ago, uh, you know, he maybe gets called up in the first camp and he's fighting Brooks for that job. Um, you know what I mean? It, 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 it's also, if we try to read too much into everything that Klinsman does, it'll, you can be driven crazy. So it's probably not wise to try to do that. Many strange the ways in Klinsman. And again, I still, I, I stand by my, my, my assertion that instinctive strikers, and cohesive strategy don't always go together. Uh, I, I think you see better management, better strategy, better uh, overall uh, roster management from from coaches who have played, you know, in that in the midfield spot, uh, in the in the back line, even in goal. We, you you see the game develop. You see the interplay of the of the of all the parts from where you're on the pitch. Whereas if you're an instinctive striker, you have one job, get the ball, put the ball in the net. And there is, there, there's some strategy involved in that, but there's just a whole lot of instinct in, in finishing. Um, and I still think Clinton has some of that uh, striker's affliction when he's putting together his rosters, when he's assembling his game plan, because he's, he's not a tactician. When, when he had the, the, the run to the semifinals with Germany in 2006, he had Yogi Lowe as his tactician. You know, he, he, Yogi Lowe is a fantastic tactician. Made that team look good. Um, so in terms of, of roster assembly, I still don't think that Klinsman quite grasps the concept of continuity, and, and, and especially at crucial times of, of knockout tournaments and 
confederational tournaments and World Cup qualifying that uh, that he really the whole let's get let's get a nucleus together let's let's play these guys together until they know everybody's tendencies and can work together as a whole because they've got that cohesion they've got that continuity and they've they've, they've got that familiarity with each other. I still just don't see that with him. I know we've diverged off the topic, but I still just don't see that in the national team picture right now. Yeah, and that's probably an interesting way to look at it is, uh, you know, you, you say he's an instinctual strike uh, striker. And, you know, we've all known uh, forwards who pretty much any time they get the ball within 30 yards of the net, they're going to find a way to get a shot off, even if it's a little bit of a crazy low percentage shot. And you sometimes wonder if maybe that he's taking that long shot with, uh, you know, some of the players and some of the moves he's done. But at the same time, he's not underperformed what we were doing before on average. There's been some obviously uh, tournaments that we didn't perform, but the most important one we're still doing okay in. So Doing okay, but not exceeding where we were uh before, I mean, you look at you look at 2002. They went to the the quarterfinals. They've been back to the quarterfinals since. Um, I would argue they, that they underperformed uh, in South they, in South Africa. There was serious underperformance in the round of 16. Um, and in uh, against Belgium, I think I think they did as well as they could have uh, without a really great game plan. Uh would have been a match that would I think Donovan would have been somebody who uh would have would have made a big difference in that. But you know, not to rehash that. I just between uh, especially when you when you're an MLS guy, um uh, and you're trying to to win a spot in the in that national team and you're going back and forth between your club and your country and when your club has a as a model of play. Maybe it's not a a great model of play, but it's a model of play. And you're going from a, from a situation, especially in say sporting, with with Beeler and some so so uh, with Graham, they've got a way that the sporting has a way they play the game, and they do their best not to deviate from how they play that that game. And then you go to a national team, and again, you're in season, you're still in your club season, you're going to the national team, and and the model of play is, is different, and it's not always cohesive, and there's a lot of things that are not happening that need to happen or that are happening on the fly that should have been uh, drawn up beforehand, that's, that's going to be wearing on a player, especially at a tough time of year like this when you've got the, uh, you've got the, the friendly window during you know, the, the stretch run. You're going to have the hex during the playoffs of all things. Uh, so I think MLS players have a, have a bit more of a challenge uh, in, in terms of at this time of year going back and forth between the league and the national team. And I, I, I don't uh, – I, I don't. <laughs> I really don't uh, blame MLS coaches for not wanting their guys called in right now, because it's, it's a critical juncture in the season, and they don't get to work with them as much as they'd like to uh, at a time when they really need to. Well, I think that's a fair statement on pretty much uh, every coach in every league uh, not wanting their players to go because you know needing them to uh, be there and train and stay cohesive and all that. But uh, so I think it's going to, that would be a discussion pretty much anywhere, not just MLS, but it may be a little more impactful. Yeah, MLS I, just I, I do, the windows play better for the FIFA calendar than they do for a league like MLS though. Yeah, pretty true. Um, okay. Our next uh, 
Well, it looks like uh, Steve may have dropped. Um, hopefully he'll call back in here in a second. The uh, Anyway, segueing, which not a very good segue in this case, but back to the USL, a former Wizard has been named the new head coach of St. Louis FC, and that would be Precky. Uh, Precky, obviously, big uh, player in Kansas City Wizards history. Uh, well, you know, probably one of the, still one of the most favorite players around Kansas City. And let's see, Steve, you join back up. Yeah, my phone. Uh, I swear, my cell tower is like the eye of Sauron. Sometimes it's it, it, sometimes it's focused <laughs> on me, and sometimes it's looking someplace else. So all of a sudden the call dropped out, and I'm come back and hear you talking about Precky. Well, I was actually uh, stalling for time while you were gone, but um, I was just saying that how uh, Precky had been announced as the uh, new coach for St. Louis FC, or USL rivals across state. So we will uh, be seeing him over here at Swope Park uh, next year as uh, coaching against the Rangers. What's uh, you got any thoughts on Precky? after having basically set out for a good period of time coming back to the USL? Um, you know, I, Frankie's a good coach, I think. Um, you know, for, for guys, we're talking, we're talking about guys who are going to have a go from all over the pitch. Um, well, Frankie was, was a midfielder, not a striker, and you saw the number of assists he handed out. Uh, knows the game. Uh, knows USL. Knows, I think, what it takes to win in that league. And I think St. Louis has pulled off a really good uh, signing in, in getting him. Um, it's kind of funny. You got uh, Jimmy down at uh, at Oklahoma City. You got Precky in uh, in St. Louis. It's kind of going to feel like old home week when uh, when St. Louis comes to town, or when, again when Oklahoma City comes to town. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a coup for for uh, St. Louis to land Precky. I really do. Yeah, and it, I think it uh, shows the commitment that they have to maybe wanting to step up to MLS sometime in the future. I mean, there's always been the uh, debate and rumors and uh, desire for St. Louis to be in MLS because of the, the long history of soccer in St. Louis and, you know, good fan base and stuff like that. Uh, there's, you know, supposedly two groups over there now trying to bring teams in or, you know, step up to MLS and one of them being with St. Louis FC, I think that's a kind of a a reason that he may have landed there is that there's a lot of manipulation behind the scenes. You know, I think that's the next one of the next Garber projects to get St. Louis into MLS. You know, he went for uh, you know his big projects were to get New York a second team, um, you know, get LA a second team, and I think now he's trying to get St. Louis a team. And, you know, he was just in state meeting with uh, the governor a couple days ago. And I think this is all part of that that process is that Precky is going to be the, you know, head coach of St. Louis FC when they step up to MLS. Well, that's – I think that's the aim. And you you look at the expansion picture in MLS, you wonder what's going to happen when they hit that 2014 cap. Uh, you know, they're going to they're have two more next year with uh, Minnesota United and uh and Atlanta. LA comes in uh the following year that leaves one slot open uh 
to fill 24, which is what FIFA likes to see as a max for any league. Um, now, again, we, we know that MLS doesn't uh, they take a different path. Obviously, the soccer in the U.S. takes a different path. There's no promotion or relegation. It's a, it's a franchise system with a single entity league. Um, so who knows? Maybe it'll wind up with MLS like the NFL, with you know an MLS East and an MLS West interleague play, that sort of thing. I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I still think that 24th expansion slot is the one that a lot of cities are going to try to grab with, you know, and, and because they don't know what's going to happen with, with further expansion beyond 24 Miami. I mean, who knows what's going on with Miami and Miami there's a whole idea of, of getting Beckham a team in Miami. Um, I mean, it's, it all sounds great on paper. Stadium Beale is really no closer to, to happening. Um, than it was really when, when they first announced the deal. They just can't seem to get that done. What I'm wondering is, is, is are markets going to position themselves as USL markets that are strong candidates for relocation of underperforming MLS franchises? Um, and if that's the case, then you want to get that 24th franchise before the shuffling starts. Uh, and, and get that locked down in your city so you're not dependent on, you know, look where Kansas City is now trying to get an NBA team or an NHL team. Uh, no expansion uh, in, in quite some time, so they've had to, to, to wait and hope and try to think about, uh, try to, to get some team to think about departing uh, an arena for the Sprint Center. It's not a situation that the Sprint Center is uh, kind of maybe a little bit apples oranges because they're making a ton of money on concerts. But if you're trying to, to, to land a, uh, a sports franchise in your city, you'd really rather not have to depend on a reload when expansion is, is out of the question. So I, I think St. Louis is being pretty aggressive because you look at Nashville. Nashville is pushing hard for MLS. Sacramento is pushing hard for MLS. I think Indianapolis is going to – we have to see what happens with NASL. Uh, I think a lot of, of, the, of the future – uh, of expansion, of relocation, of how the how MLS uh, goes in the future might hinge on on uh, the markets that could come online uh, first in USL and then maybe in MLS if NASL can't make a go of it, a continuing go of it. And I think that's a very real possibility. You can see that league folding up uh, even as early as the end of this year. So as far as St. Louis has to be aggressive. If St. Louis wants a team, St. Louis has to be aggressive. St. Louis has, has to hire uh, the, the best possible coach. They've got to show good attendance numbers. They've got to be successful at, uh, at, at drawing crowds and winning matches. Then they're a good candidate. Then they've got to have a stadium deal. I mean, that's, that's the key right now. You have to have a stadium deal. But there's a really – the door is closing on getting in ahead of that, that 24 – cap uh, or the, that 24th team to be that 24th team. And if St. Louis is, uh, I think St. Louis is maybe running a little bit behind uh, some other cities right now and really trying to, to pull ahead and, and stake their claim as the team that should come in uh, number 24 in the MLS. Yeah. And uh, I think one that you didn't mention was uh, Cincinnati who's had like 30,000 people showing up to a USL team. 
Yeah. They're making a case. Well, of course, you know, this is this early days with them. They have to maintain and, and show that sustained growth uh, and, and sustained uh, attendance. <clears throat> but, yeah, they've done it so far. Look at Louisville. Louisville has done – They've done some some nice things there as well. So you 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 uh, you've got a lot of cities who are turning into pretty attractive markets. You know, and would you like to have an Ohio Derby with Columbus could be a, a selling point. Um, you, know, you, you know, or, or you got Cincinnati and Louisville in in really uh, close proximity to each other. You have an Ohio Ohio River Derby. Um, I, I think MLS is going to continue to grow. I don't know how that's going to, to, to shape up in terms of expansion, in terms of, uh, you know, an MLS East, MLS West. I, I don't think we're, we're going to see MLS 1, MLS 2, with even a, a one a first and second tier closed loop relegation and promotion system anytime soon. I'm not saying that couldn't happen down the road, but I think that's still quite a ways off. Um so, yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. But uh, just to interrupt no, for a second, though, I do think that Garber has said that uh, they will go up to 28 at by 2020. So I think what we're looking at the 24 for, you know, basically uh, there's one opening left for that. There's basically five openings left for, you know, the 2020 time frame. So you can get, uh, you know, uh, Miami Beckham's in. You can get Sacramento. You could get St. Louis. You could get Cincinnati, um, you know, there's and uh, some of the other teams that I don't think you had mentioned was Detroit, Phoenix, San Antonio, San Diego are all awesome. teams or you know places. I really don't think San Diego's on the list because San Diego's a club Tijuana town. Um, that's the primary loyalty in San Diego. It's again, it's one of those odd situations. But you're right. There, you know, if they go to 28, I would. I think 28 is kind of going to be tough to manage. But if they go to 28 by 2020, then so be it. Uh, I, I just I look at at 24 as kind of where I would cap things, where I think they would think about capping things. But if, they, if they're if they're determined to go to 28 by 2020 and deal with uh, the either a longer season or uh, another tweaked schedule or completely split con- conferences and, and only one uh, and only limited interconference play, uh, then. Yeah, you got more more openings, but I I, I th- still think teams want to get in earlier rather than later, even if there are five slots still open. Yeah, no, that's but that's and that's part of why I think that uh, Precky made so much sense for St. Louis to get him now is that's a that's a big league coach, uh, and I I'm not sure if he's as good a coach as some people think he is because I think his success in Chivas was a little bit piggybacked on top of. Uh, uh, the team that Bradley had built um, and Toronto was not so successful. Sacramento was wildly successful um, in as an expansion team, but that was also a team that could spend money where the rest of USL wasn't at the time. So he's had some advantages where he's been. Um, and I think he's like a 80 something wins to 60 something losses and 20 some odd ties or something like that. So it's not like, He's the most greatest coach in the world, but he does lend a big league name to that St. Louis cachet at this point. That's that's in their side now that they have a big league coach where in the past they've pretty much went with uh, a lot of local guys who, you know, they're not bad coaches, but they weren't 
they didn't have the experience of coaching at a higher level. Right. And that, no, that no. was their experience of coaching at a higher level was to step up the USL. Yeah, I, I think everybody liked Dale Shelley, but I just don't think he was he was not a guy who was going to carry St. Louis into uh, into MLS. Uh, Preki's a guy yeah. you could hang that that you could hang that that banner on and say, look, we've already got it. We've got a coach. Uh, we, we've got an ownership group that's committed. We've got a coach. We're we're just, we've got a, the venue again. It, you cannot overstress the importance of the venue. Um, in, in getting a, a deal put together, so you know they've got the, they've got the coach, they they've obviously got the vision. They're willing to spend money to uh, to make that vision happen. Just now, it's a matter of can they put uh, butts in the seats and can they can they deliver a stadium that's a soccer specific stadium, uh, most likely downtown. Um, that that's going to be the the, the the final factor. Yeah, and if they can if they can get a, a soccer specific stadium downtown St. Louis, that'll be uh, pretty amazing to have. You know, all those stadiums downtown the, for the Cardinals, the Blues, the St. Louis FC, and uh, you know whatever um, Canadian Football League team they try to steal and put in St. Louis. Are they still doing that? So they put doing the uh, bringing the team Canadian teams out of the border. Decided that was a uh, was a failed experiment. It was kind of a fun experiment. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That was just something I made up on the spot right now. So um, that was just a bad joke. I didn't know there was any reality to it. Yeah, they, they tried that for a while. Back in the 90s, I think. Okay. Um, uh, well, let's see. Is there any other subjects that we should or could cover? We uh, only have a couple minutes left on our squatted time, but no, I, I, uh, I, I think you go, you go back to, to what we started. We came in. Um, one of the things we really haven't talked about Rangers is they have a very good chance to extend Kansas City's streak of uh, of soccer silverware, and I think they represent the the chance right now. And so, so if you're, I think people ought to be out at that at that uh, conference final on Saturday. Yes. I think that you're going to see a team that's going to battle. And has a very good shot at winning a title, extending Kansas City's overall silverware streak to what uh, all the way from 2012 through 2016. That would not be a bad uh, a bad run of uh, of silverware for the city. And if they it'd be counted if they win the Western Conference Final, well, they win something for them. I think they would they win something for that. I'm just talking about you know a, a cup. Uh, there's a cup tie. There's a there's a cup streak that goes back to 2012, and you know Kansas City can continue making that uh, that uh, soccer capital claim. I think if uh, if win two more, I think they've got the best shot of the two contention to to hoist the cup and and keep that streak going. So I, I'm hoping that people will go out to, on on Saturday to a pool park and and, and watch the, uh, the the team and uh, and see him go after that uh, that spot in USL Cup. And and not only that, but I mean they're they're a good team. They're an entertaining team. They're a team that's gonna give you know lay everything on the line and leave it all in the field and whatever other stupid cliche you want to throw out there. But you also will be seeing potential future Sporting KC players 
uh, you know, out there, the the Didiches, the Ballos, uh, Adrian Zendejas and Goal, um, you know, Pasher, Turpak. All of those yeah. guys are potential sporting players. I would not be surprised to see them in the training camp, um, you know, next season battling, hoping to get catch a, catch a spot um, with the senior team. So it's, well, it's, a, it's a future – Future pod about the uh, the Canadian rules because you you start bringing up guys like Jidich uh, and uh, Pasher. These are guys who, who benefit from the rules in, in USL, but the Canadians are domestic on either side of the line. But the, I think MLS needs to needs to come around to, to that uh, that policy as well because it is a two country league. Uh, be that yeah, that's not, a, that's something that's else that of, you're running up against. You're running up against actual employment laws, though, with that, and that's because um, you, if you give favoritism to Canadians, you got to give favoritism. Uh, if you make a Canadian a hire of a Canadian the same as you make a hiring of an American, then you got to extend that same courtesy to Brazilians and Mexicans and everything else, and it becomes there, much more complex. The franchises in both in the, the, the league operates in both countries, so uh, I mean, USL has done it. With uh, with the, with uh, with their policy, of course. Again, we we don't we'll have to take some some more time and unpack that. But I think it's something that needs to be discussed uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Is the eighty issue. We should we should actually put that on our uh, list to uh, discuss in one of the future podcasts. So I uh, think so. Maybe get a little little research done on it, and maybe invite one of those uh, Canadian experts in. Yeah. Maybe we'd get, uh, get Mark Dos Santos on the show. He, he definitely has opinions on that. Cool. cool. Well, uh, thanks for joining, Steve. Uh, it's been fun. I'm I'm sad we haven't done it for so long. So yeah, we need to keep this up this time. Fun. Yeah, hope we can uh, get a few more of these in before the end of the season. So thanks for having me uh, on. Always, always a good time. Uh, yeah, ex- experience would say that uh, even in the off season, it's good to keep doing them because there's always uh, rumors about players and trades and expansion drafts and yeah, uh, yeah. expansion drafts going to be a great topic this year. Who you protect again? Yeah. time. Yep. All right. Uh, again, thanks, and I will talk to you later. And thanks everybody for listening. And uh, I promise that we will do this more consistently over the next however long. Thanks. Talk to you later. Great. Yeah, they're all the friends all around the zoom. That's not about a thing to do.
Final with the blows, you know we're gonna feel 